It's life on life's terms. What's up, everybody? It's the Life on Life Terms podcast, and I'm Tom Robinson. And we are not affiliated with any 12-step program, although we do love them and we do endorse them. Uh, my name is Chris Mandeville. I'm a recovered heroin addict. Uh, we're here at a New Way Recovery Center in Quincy, Mass., on Quincy Ave. Yeah. Um, lots of resources down here, and uh, if you're in the South Shore area, um, definitely come check them out. Uh, there's meetings, all different kinds of meetings every single day. Or refer uh, someone over here. Yes. Uh, if you know someone that's in treatment around here and they need um, to utilize the computers or whatever, like they have all that stuff here. They All different kinds of meetings. Great place um, Great people. to get involved with and um, bring different aspects to your recovery. That's a new way recovery center in yes. Quincy. And we are... You can find us at lolterms.com where you can like, subscribe, and share our podcast from there. Um, You can subscribe to whatever platform you have, Android, Apple. Um, I think we're on Spotify. We are on uh, Stricker, I think. Yes. um, Might even be on iHeartRadio. So you'll find us somewhere. Just, Just search the Life on Life's Terms podcast. So tonight we have a uh, friend of mine I've known quite a while, um, Tommy, and Tom, Thomas, whatever <laughs> whatever he wants to go by today, uh, and he's going to share his uh, share his story with us. Experience, strength, and hope. Yeah, and uh, you know, we may butt in and crack jokes or whatever, but... Thanks for coming in, Tom. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. My pleasure. And uh, and do feel free to interrupt, ask yeah. questions. Mm. Uh, That's what we do. That's how we do it. <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> I said a little prayer while you guys were out uh, of the room and mm. invited God in. So uh, nice. If anybody has any problem with uh, anything I'm saying, you can blame these two guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. I have a, I'm going to leave here with a clean slate. Yep, there you go. Exactly. So I've been uh, Tommy Delaney. I've been in recovery. Uh, cons- I have a consistent sobriety date since April 7th of 97. Um, mm. I started the journey in recovery uh, October 1990. And in October of 1990, I was a young kid on a street corner who... Uh, was just in the worst way and uh this i was basically on a corner selling drugs and this car pulled up and um it was three guys from my neighborhood who i knew somehow uh that they were sober and they started talking to me about what was going on in my life they they knew me since i was younger and uh i grew up in south boston and you know Everybody knows everybody's business. Yeah. Everybody so, knows what goes on. Yeah. So they knew where I was at. Um, and they started talking to me about, you know, maybe looking at things a different way. And I was always in a ton of trouble, always being talked at for being in the situation I was in. Always just, uh, you know, just always had someone on top of me. At least that's how it felt. Right. Um so they started talking to me about, about maybe, you know, checking something out that was a little different. And I looked in the backseat of the car, and there was a duffel bag that had some uh, shotguns and rifles in it. And if you're new to recovery, we usually don't drive around with guns in the car. Um, <laughs> right. But what happened was these guys, I said, listen, you're talking about, you know, trying to straight out my life. you got guns in the car. What are you doing? He says, I was just on my boat. I was shooting over one of the harbor islands, and uh, something clicked in my head, like guns, recovery, maybe I'll check this out. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> nothing would have got through to me that day like a bag of guns. Um, right. Huh. 
Wow, that's and, wild. And when we look at uh, how people get introduced to recovery, a different way of life, uh, we may have this pure idea of how it's supposed to happen. But what I've learned through <laughs> all of my life is that uh, nothing's wasted. Um, things happen without a doubt for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And God is everything or God is nothing. And God was everything in that moment in order for me to be able to uh, get a glimpse at something different. And because of that, I was able to check out some recovery meetings, and uh, my life has not been the same since, and I've never had a bad feeling uh, about it, about recovery since. I didn't stay sober from that point. So what you're saying is yep, God came to you that day in the form of a bag full of shotguns. Well, <laughs> I personally, you know, I, I, I believe the, that God is there no matter what. Right, and my That's eyes, true. my eyes were opened. Right, through that, and uh, I don't think anybody was up there saying, "You know what? I'm going to make this perfect little thing for this guy to see this at this moment." Okay. Right. I believe now that those perfect little things are always there, and we have to experience the pain, suffering, humiliation, and that inner shame. Uh, actually, is what clears away uh, the path to see that. And right. If I don't have the pain, um, I'm not going to reach out. I, I'm just not someone that was born with the type of integrity to do the right thing, um, you know, for the sake of it. Uh, right, right. And, but, and also your your environment. You know, growing, growing yep. up in Salty back then was a lot different than it is today. It was a lot different. Uh, you you know, know, I uh, I come from a good home. Two parents mm-hmm. in my home both worked, non-alcoholics. Um but I was still a product of my environment. Right. You know, I got shot in the throat when I was 13, right through my throat. Uh, wow. I, uh, That's not you know, I remember the time. doctors saying, if there's a good way to get shot through the throat, kid, it happened to you. You know, it, it <laughs> just missed everything. <laughs> wow. Um, but you were ready when the, te- they say, you know, when the, te- when the student's ready, the teacher appears. You were, something in you was ready for that bag of shotguns to appear, and you cued in on that, and that was. Yeah. And how old, how old were you at that time? I was 16. Mm. I was mm. 16. And uh, not too long after that, I, uh, I was in some trouble from some things. And I reached out to those guys, and uh, I began sobriety. And I, uh, my experience was I, I was young, and I was definitely uh, an adolescent who thought he was an adult. So I thought, I look at a 16-year-old kid now, or a 13-year-old kid when I got shot, you know, um, and, and I can't imagine. But at that time, I, I, you know, I thought I had lived a, a lot of, lived through a lot of things, and I was more of an adult. But, uh, you know, yeah, looking right. back at it now, I was, uh, I was a young kid that was scared, who was, uh, who was alcoholic and addicted. And to, just had who, happened to experience things probably a lot younger than he should have. A lot. A lot younger, a lot right. quicker. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I have an 11-year-old daughter, and when I was 11 years old, uh, you know, I was on the bus in town. Yeah. You know, we just, you know, I, we would run the train tracks from Broadway Station to Andrew Station probably at that age. Yep. Uh, I can't imagine my daughter. Uh, my daughter won't even walk to the store, and we live in Newton. You know, <laughs> I, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. I, like, I, I remember at, at 11 years old, I grew up in Brockton, and like would hop on the Ashmont bus, go to Ashmont, you know, walk over to friggin' um, Franklin Park, yeah. you know. If, I I wouldn't send a child to do that nowadays. No. Yeah, I was a late bloomer. I didn't start taking the tea into Boston until I was fourteen. Yeah, you know, I <laughs> riding the train tracks down to Plymouth. You know, on ATVs or bikes or, you know, just... Yeah. I mean, there's something to it at the time. Yeah. It it was, you know, the value I got from having that independence. um, Yeah, there was some value to it. You know, there's definitely value. Yeah. And, you know, looking back at my life now, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time meditating on is that nothing's wasted. Mm. And we can look back at our lives and see events and wish things could be different, but they're... 
they're not going to be different. They never will be. You mean, well, so what you mean by that is no experience is wasted. It teaches you something. No experience is wasted. Right. And, I uh, see. It's hard, it's hard to see that at the time. Right. Uh, it, it's obviously something that happens in retrospect to see that nothing's wasted. It all shapes us for who we're supposed to be. And most importantly, right. shapes us who we're supposed to be to be there for someone else mm-hmm. who needs to see that, to be a witness to that. And And I've said it before and i've even experienced it like the universe will keep providing you the same lesson until you learn it you know over and over and over yeah you know and it may come in different ways but it all ends up being the same lesson yeah so so the guys pull up bag of guns yep i i I begin a journey (laughs) in recovery and uh, yeah you know for me it lasted uh for about nine months my first shot uh Basically, I just... That was pretty good for I had, a shot. Yeah, I had no defense against a drink. Uh, I had a lot of support, a lot of people around me. Uh, there were a lot of younger people sober at the time. They got sober in the, in the 80s. Uh, insurances would pay for long-term treatment. Mm. I think a lot of people did get sober and stay sober out of that. Uh, but when I really wanted the drink, I didn't have a defense against it. And I, I just said, well, I'm young. I can you know do this. And that drink lasted about a month before I was just in the same trouble, same problems. Um, you know, it was uh, disharmony in my home, to say the least. Uh, you know, my parents just couldn't understand where I was at. Um, and, and I, you know, I got sober again. I sought out longer-term treatment. Uh, how about how about grandparents? Any any alcoholism? There's definitely you know alcoholism in my family line. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I- I think there's a strong case to say that we're predisposed. Yeah, it's it's definitely it, it, it's. I think we can't ignore that it's genetics, environment, mm. and then individually, you know, what does something do for us that we make a decision to keep using that thing that we believe. You know, by the time alcohol was doing something for me, it had already done something irreversible to me, and I couldn't look back mm. uh, at that point and. and um, it's it's the old you know the thing that's making me sick is the thing that I believe that's holding me together, right? Uh, until I can reach that point. Um, but you know, I actually, um, you know, I stayed sober for, you know three years. Uh, the next time, you know, did everything that I thought I was supposed to do in life. Went back to school and got a high school diploma. I was a dropout. You know, maintained a job, got better jobs, got a job in the union. Uh, you know, just try to follow this script of what you're supposed to do as yeah. someone who's sober mm. and doing the right thing. Um, I was racing sailboats. You know, people don't realize that uh, South Boston is actually on the water. I know. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're a quaint uh, beach community. Yes, and, yes. Uh, but we're on the water. I grew up sailing at a, at a community sailing center and uh, got really involved in racing sailboats. I was out in Milwaukee, and I was racing in the, uh, the Nationals for the type of boat that I raced. And after a long day in the water, uh, I was sober, just about three years. Uh, I reached in a cooler to grab a bottle of water, and someone said, hey, grab me a beer. And as soon as I touched that beer, uh, and there I, had it to, was. I had to have it. The mm. water was cold, but the beer felt colder. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> but the, uh, hey, on a side note with the ceiling before we move on, but there was uh, skulls going on the Neponset River from my backyard. I was looking at them from my backyard yesterday. What, a boat? Yeah, those, you know those, those rowers? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was like two of them out there with another boat with a guy with a megaphone and everything. Oh, I yeah, saw, training? I, oh. I saw them out in Hingham actually yesterday, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Must be yeah. something, something yep. coming up. Must be that time of the year. Head of the Charles is coming up. Oh, okay. Uh, that's it. Pretty much the biggest yeah. thing out there. Right. Um, so, yeah. Had to take that drink. I had no defense against it. Mm. And the idea that if I could just sh- straighten out all these things, I'll be okay. Um, you know, I think the delusion that a lot of people have that look at people uh, that are sober and say, you know, if they could just do this, this, and this and get their life straightened out, right. they'll be all right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's uh, there was a guy, Jack the Marine, and he used to say... Uh, you can pour maple syrup on a horse ship, but that don't make it French toast. 
Yeah. I think his I think his anniversary was just the other day. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Great guy. He's awesome. I met I met him in the very beginning of my journey in Plymouth House. Plymouth He used to go to uh to the Saturday night Norwell meeting. Yeah. 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 So um and like you were saying, some some people can do that. Some people can do that. Um, and I think our literature describes them as uh, maybe heavy. Heavy drinkers. Heavy drinkers. Yep. Uh, but what Drink. about the real alcoholic? Because for me, I suffer from a threefold illness. It's physical, spiritual, it's mental. And I believe that if I can put the pieces together in my life, that the stability of my life will promote a, a way of living that I'll want to live. Uh, but really, if I'm not fulfilling uh, who I'm supposed to be in this life, see, I'm chasing things in life to make me okay right. instead of being okay and letting the stability of my life promote what I'm supposed to have. And uh, that, that's a big difference. So if, uh, it, you know, they say all the time, it's an inside job. But if I don't take care of that inside stuff, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's never going to be enough. Yeah, uh, there's never going to be enough. I can get the thing that I want, and then as soon as that wears off, I'll be looking for the other thing. Yes, and it's like uh, you know, window shopping through life of what's going to make me okay, and I'm constantly looking for it instead of just constantly being okay with who I am. And uh, you know, one of the things I'm med- meditating on lately right now is uh, meeting myself where I am. Where am I now? Mm. You know, uh, yeah, all these other things have happened. This is where I want to be. This is where I wish I could be. This is where I think I should be. This is where I've been in the past. This is what people expect of me. But where I am right now, where am I? Mm-hmm. You know, where am I right now? I Beat struggle with that. There. I struggle with that a lot. Being in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, because all that really other stuff nice. fades away. The only thing that doesn't fade is right this moment. And if I'm seeking out that I'm going to be okay, Someday, if I achieve this, uh, which society, it would just pounded with, oh. pounded with this constant, you know, you need this. Exactly. You America, know? it's, it's insane. Yeah. And everything that uh, you see, I mean, what are we bombarded with? Probably a couple thousand advertisements a day. Oh. Uh, and, and, yeah, I was just reading something recently where it basically said all advertisement is meant to make you feel like you're a loser unless you have this thing. Mm. So you're not enough unless you have this thing. Yep. And the, the whole, you know, the, the whole backbone of advertising uh, isn't just to promote a product. It's to promote why you're not okay w- without it. And, uh, right. and, and you know, that, that constant idea, I need to have this, this, and this. So I had all those things going into my life, but still uh, I take a drink. And so that... You know, that was uh, August of 94, and uh, that drink lasted about two and a half to three years almost. And this is after three years. This is after almost three years of sobriety, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Mm. I think I was about 12 days short of my third year anniversary. And and then actually, so I was out in Milwaukee when I came home. I, uh, my father dropped dead of a heart attack at 46 on what would have been Whoa. my uh, my sobriety date, September 1st. And so that here I am sucks. in a world of shit. Mm. Uh, I just picked up a drink. I haven't told anybody other than my girlfriend. Uh, AA showing up in my life. People are showing up in my life. Because that's what... That's what they did, you know? They so do. all these people in recovery are there for me. Mm. And uh, I, I just don't have the courage to tell them, hey, I just took a drink. And I was wow, in a see, really, I think really tough place. I think that that's uh, not uncommon. No, no, I, I think uh, people are so ashamed. But it's it's also too. I was twenty years old, and I can't, you know, I have to find the distinction sometimes between what happens as a twenty-year-old young man going through life. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to fall mm-hmm. short. He's going to have, you know, my problem is I'm doing it. Uh, through either sobriety or addiction. And, uh, you know, so if I don't tell the truth, um, the consequences are a little more severe. You know, so like a normal 20-year-old kid may not, or probably will not be able to talk about what's going on. But the difference for me is if I don't talk about it, if I keep it a secret, I'm going to find something to make that secret go away. 
and I'm going to search for it, and uh, it's yep. just going to create more emptiness. Well, the problem with the relapse now is, you know, and the, and the reason I think behind that is uh, fear of judgment and being judged. And the problem with that is uh, if someone's struggling in the fear of and and not coming to their um, fellowship uh, because of fear of judgment, they could die, you know what I mean, very easily, and they do. And that's why we can't have this judgment, you know what I mean? Uh, It's just, it's, if someone goes out, they still, they, they need help, and they need acceptance, and they need, you know, a hand back in. They don't need judgment. Yeah, it's it, but you know, you you're dealing with a a host of people that are all at different different levels. spiritual levels. You I know. understand. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough, but if we spread the, you know, just spread the word that the judgment, yeah, kills. No, there can't be any stigma. Um, I have right now, currently, uh, the way I'm trying to live with anyone uh, is that I cannot judge anybody for where they're at. If someone comes to me for direction, that is the place where I get to have a, I don't know if an opinion or say, hey, listen, you're the one who came to me. This is what I have to offer. Mm. If you don't like it, you know, there's plenty of other ways you can try to seek this out. Mm. I need to meet people where they are. So if someone's on the street using... uh, I have no place to judge where they are. I can't say, well, hey, you know, there's, uh, there's beds available if they wanted them, if they, you know, if they wanted this bad enough. I have no idea where someone's at. Exactly. But if someone is coming to me saying, what do I do? I can only share what I've done. Yep. And, uh, you know, because at the time, 97, uh, when I finally, you know, that, so that relapse lasted a while, and, and, and it just went back to madness. And, mm. um you know, my friends were, you know, some of the first to really uh, begin the uh, the opiate, opioid overdose. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, like, it was, it was like eight kids in a row that I grew up with, and uh, it was, uh, it had just come off a, a string of uh, wow. suicides in South Boston. There was a, there was a surge of uh, adolescent suicides. Um, that happened. Uh, I think I've heard of that. Ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, I've heard that. And um, you know, people were blaming it uh, on the drugs, on heroin. Uh, but you know, I, I think th- th- there was a lot going on. And mm. at that time, I, uh, you know, I, I was a mess. I was uh, into a ton of illegal activities. Uh, hadn't worked in a long time. And, uh, you know, basically I reached that point of hopelessness where I, uh, because I had known about sobriety, you know, you, you don't spend three, almost four years around recovery and, and not know that there's something there. Uh, I reached <laughs> out, you know, for help. And, and I wasn't desperate in the sense where, like, I had money at the time. I had a car that ran. I had a roof over my head. Um, I wasn't desperate in that sense but i was ready to take my life uh, yeah from what the way i was looking at the things i was doing and i reached out and tried to go to a detox and uh where i was at at the time actually i was out on workman's comp and i would get this comp check every couple of weeks and you know that would last the weekend it was like 1680 bucks i would get it on a thursday uh Around two twenty, my mailman would show up, and, and that I'd would get, last the weekend. And that would maybe last until <laughs> Sunday morning. But what Son it would do, of a... it would set me up. Damn it! Uh, actually, you know, at the time, yeah, I'm a convicted drug dealer, so that's not yeah. a secret. People that know me, um, I just had, you know, it allowed me to continue uh, to use in a way where, uh, you know, I could just blow it up all the time because every two weeks I had this check. Uh, to, mm. to stop me going again, but uh, I, I had reached this hopelessness, and uh, I went to try to go to detox. Ended up at a Catholic Charities Counseling Center in Brantry. I don't think it's there anymore. But I said, "Listen, I'm just trying to go to detox." Um, uh, I think it was right next to Archie's, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. right next to Archie's. Yeah. And at the time, I had really good insurance, 
but I didn't have the courage to call my EAP to say I need help. What's a, what's an EAP? Employee Assistance Program. Oh, okay. So I didn't have. Yeah, I couldn't pick up that phone. <clears throat> you still get a union job. You're out on comp. Yeah, I've been out on comp yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm just so beaten down. I'm beaten down so much that when I got that check on a Thursday, I had to get to the bank by 4.30 to cash it. And I couldn't muster the courage to get out of my house, to go to the bank, to stand in line. Just the shame mm. I was living in, you know, just the shame of who I was. Self-loathing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I would wait and maybe go to the check cash and later and pay them. Yeah. $86 to cash a check that belongs to me. And if I had to wait even longer, <laughs> there was one on Tremont Street that was open to midnight. And I think it cost me like a buck 20 to cash. Well, you it. could go to the bar. <laughs> or I could go to the bar. Yeah. Um, but uh, they, they're always good for cashing a check. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was just beat up. And I, I went in this place and I, I met with this counselor. And uh, I told her everything that was going on in my life. And she basically told me, hey, listen, Tommy, you're screwed. Uh, she said, the only thing that's going to get in between you and this is God, the 12 steps, and recovery. The counselor said that? The counselor. She was a Catholic that's nun. That's fantastic. And uh, I knew because she was a Catholic nun, she had to talk about God. Uh, oh, okay, Catholic But nun. I, I knew, you know, basically the way she prioritized it is God, the 12 steps, and a life of recovery, and a program right. of recovery. And, and she told me to go home, eat something, and beg God to end this madness. Uh, and that's what I did. I went home, took a shower, ate something, and I got down on my knees, and I uh, I begged God to end this. And uh, mm. I, uh, I've been clean ever since. Uh, wow. I had, uh, I had drugs on me. I had money on me. I had like $1,400 on me. And uh, it was a Friday. So I still had some, you know, I hadn't burned through the money yet. Right. I remember I had a little over $1,400 on me. Um, but I was just dying and, and just, I, I... Didn't matter. Didn't matter in that. So nothing changed. Those moments I was on my knees. But I can tell you that uh, things have been different since. And, and it's basically given me the foundation of how I've lived my life mm. since, is that I feel a certain way. I invite something else in. I try to take that direction. Nothing in my, those moments in my life is going to change, but things become different. And that's what the personal journey to recovery for me has been, is that not much is going to change in my life. The moments I spend in prayer, meditation, uh, thinking of others, but I'm different. Mm-hmm. And then I become different for those in my life and so my my sobriety began that day and uh i should have been a little more specific when i asked god to end the madness because the next day the boston police state police and dea gave me a spiritual awakening yeah i was gonna say you know we we ask we ask for for help with things and and for things to end and we may not always like the way that that goes down i like the way you said though uh you know, because uh, we change. You know, it's like keep coming; it gets better, and by it gets better, we it means we get better. Yeah, mm. it doesn't change. Life doesn't change. Life is life, and then we get better at living it or doing the the thing. Oh yes, exactly. Doing the next right thing, or yeah. And then the trick is how do I maintain that long term? And uh, you know, for me, if I look back at. Uh, my attempts of sobriety before, they were definitely in, you know, my heart was in the right place. Uh, I knew I was screwed up. I heard something that was different that I wasn't hearing anywhere in my life. I saw people living differently. Uh, I began to live differently. But there's a, there's a maturity that has to happen in that process. And mm. in my experience, it's better if it happens slow. Um, you know, because uh, I get excited about things. I, I don't know about anybody else. If I like something, if I'm interested in it, I'll research it, look at it, you know, totally throw myself into it. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, what's over there? You know, I find this yeah. new thing, uh, you know, and, and I'm constantly <laughs> exactly. looking for something else to feed the hole. And recovery is a lot different because I have to constantly be aware of the hole, what I'm putting in the hole. 
mm-hmm. uh, what I think it's doing for me. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, in my experience is I think I'm the one that's creating this great life for myself and that I'm powerful. Yes, ego. So, yeah, the ego. Or, or, or just even the fact that like, hey, you know what? I'm proud of myself. I did go back to school and get a high school diploma. I have maintained a job. I have done all those things. And when, it, you, when you're talking about a hole, you're talking about a hole in your soul. Hole in my soul. The emptiness that... Uh, yeah, that, emptiness that feeling just, inside that you're always looking outside to fill. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, money, property, prestige, uh, other people's opinion. Money, power, respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, it could it's something different for everybody, but we yeah. all, you know, suffer from the same symptom of it. Yes. And uh, what we put in there, uh, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, so, you know, you you started talking about the the spiritual awakening you had. Yeah. With the state police and the. Yeah. DEA oh yeah. And, so so that happened, and uh, it was not good. Uh, it was a very public thing. Uh, brought a lot of shame uh, to my family. They didn't know what to do. Uh, mm. And I remember being, you know, after getting arraigned, I went to detox uh, that afternoon. And uh, a day or two later, one of my closest friends overdosed and died. And, uh, you know, they let me out of the detox to be a, you know, part of his services. And, and they let me back in, which is they don't, do that usually right they Mm. they just you know give me a urine test and um but basically from that point um i've tried to take every suggestion and move forward the best i could and you know i spent my first year of sobriety preparing to go to prison sober and and that's where my head was at uh gracefully that great you know through through a lot of grace and a good lawyer uh, that didn't have to happen um, right. It was actually my my only adult arrest. It was the first time I'd ever been arrested as an adult. Um, you know that sobriety from sixteen to twenty saved me uh, a, a lot, lot of, yeah. a lot of trouble. Uh, right. right. Most of my friends had been in and out of jail at that point. Um, you know, I, I had you know friends that had murdered people at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a uh, was a lot of madness that I missed. Um, yeah, DYS, Deer Island. Yeah, all, all that, that stuff. crap. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think very easy to get. My caught crowd up. was like the uh, was the first class at Salt Bay. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they opened the doors. Mm. So I faced that situation. Um, it sucked, but I did it. And uh, what I found was that I uh, I just kept taking suggestions. They said you should go here. I went there. You should do this. I did that. Mm. Uh, you should meet this guy. I would meet that guy. And what I had to do was uh, I had to cut ties to a lot of things, a lot of old ideas, a lot of people. Yes, uh, cut ties to old ideas. That's you know? that's a good concept. I had to do that myself. Yeah. Difficult um, to wrap your head around at first, and, and I think I went out a few times because of it. Uh, old ideas, you know, you, uh, you, you got to open up your eyes to a new slate, a new life, and mm. a new Well, a new even, thing. you know, the way I look at it is uh, I always had this nasty knot in my gut. I would walk around with it. Some people get, like, tense shoulders. Some people get headaches. For me, uh, the, the physical uh, manifestation of how I felt, I mm-hmm. would just my stomach would just ache and ache and yes. ache. And it was mm. like the truth of who I was supposed to be in this life was written on the lining of my stomach. And every time I went, went against it, uh, there was just pain. And so I believe, you know, that there was always someone Tommy Delaney was supposed to be, but I couldn't get there. I couldn't even see what that was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I couldn't experiment with the idea that, you know, maybe I want to do this. Well, I can't do that. What would my friends think if I wanted to do that? What if I wanted to take an art class? Geez, you know, you know, learn something about art. I, I can't tell anybody I'm doing that. Yeah, it's a, that's for other people, you know. And then mm. you start to demean, you know, to protect yourself, you would, you know, you start to demean anyone that does these things. And I look at so many right. things that I've wanted to do in life, and so many times I would put down people for doing them. Uh, right <laughs> in, in a crowd so like these old ideas irony uh it's uh and and to make a point uh if you're currently <clears throat> doing something it's not an old idea 
it's a current action. Right. So it's like, uh, mm. you know, so if I have these, you know, the, if I use the terminology, I have these old ideas that I sometimes revisit. They're not old ideas. They're current ideas of, yeah. of what's going on. It's not an old behavior if you're it, still doing it's it. It's not old behavior if you're still doing it. Yeah. So um, I was fortunate enough that I found uh, I found people in my life that I had no relationship with in the past. And it was, it was easier to make changes around people that I didn't know. Because I didn't have to be who I had been prior to that, mm. and uh, or try and be someone yeah. that they, you know, they assumed you were someone completely different. Yeah, I mean, being from South, <clears throat> you always get this uh, stereotype thrown at you, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it it drives me nuts. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of it's based in truth, but a lot of it's based in maybe two percent of like salty knuckleheads. That you know, I'm from salty pound and chest and all this stuff, and mm. uh, you know they're usually like some of the biggest dirtbags walking. You know, and like the, <laughs> the values that I grew up in South Boston were, were a little, uh, they, they were still there f- from the older guys. And you know, one of the things that I noticed heroin did to South Boston is it drove people inside. There was a lot of shame of getting high. You could do everything else, but if you touched heroin, you were the bottom of the barrel. Mm. And when it removed people from a street corner, you know, we grew up, we hung in a schoolyard, a park, a street corner, and there was a natural pecking order until you reached like a bar room that you went to. That pecking order got disturbed. And values that were taught through like the older guy saying, hey, you don't do that. This is where you live. You don't do that here. Mm. Uh, it was okay if you did it in other places, but you don't do that here. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, And... Heroin disturbed that pecking order, and it, it, it took away a lot of things, and it, and it changed, in my opinion, old-school values that I grew up with. Right. Because um, I, I still I, I grew up with a certain code. And what I think spirituality is is living um, in a way that I believe to be true, you know, living a principled life. And I had this code growing up, and I couldn't fulfill it. I had this information being pumped to me of how I should live life, and I was too afraid to live that way. Constantly bombarded about what's going to make you happy, what you should do, you know, the American dream, the Mm. white picket fence, go to college, do this, follow this script. I couldn't do any of that. Mm. And if I can't do any of these things, I'm empty. Right. It makes you feel... it makes you feel so shitty about yourself. In- inferior, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's like we're set up to fucking fail. Yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah. And, you know, so whether addiction is about genetics, your social standing, uh, whatever it is, I know for me, I felt empty. And I began to take these things that I thought were filling that emptiness, but actually they made me emptier. And it's that mm. emptiness that I'm actually addicted to. I think I'm addicted to this lifestyle, but I, I'm I'm addicted to this emptiness of um, I just don't want to feel anything. I don't have to be anything. There's no expectations, ah, but it only lasts so long. It's a glimpse, and and I can relate to that. And the longer it goes on, the less I get it, and then I have to sell out these values that I believe mm. in at that moment. I have to lower my standards and lower my standards. And, right. You know, for me, my bottom wasn't uh, an act that had, like, it wasn't, like, most people would look at how I got sober and say, oh, he got sober because he got arrested. I got sober the day before. But that that was, like, the billboard that people would look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's, uh, I, I believe the bottom is the day I can no longer lower my standards to catch up with my surroundings. And uh, I think I can still go on. I, I could have still gone on, I'm sure, but at that point, I was ready to receive help, and I right. was graced with opportunities to get it and reasons to do it. That arrest saved my life. Right. Uh, I never thought I was going to have a good life after that. I thought, like, uh, you know, I'm a convicted drug felon. Uh, you know, I'm never going to get a good job. Never going to. This is never going to happen to me. And um, you know, I had to do a lot of hard work, but my uh, my record is not once affected anything i've ever wanted to do in life right it hasn't affected any career you know i went from being a convicted drug felon to uh uh i i was a project manager and i traveled the country building banks 
<laughs> a lot has to happen in between those uh, two things. Right. Yeah. Security plans to a bank, bags of heroin. You know. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things have to happen, and, uh, and and that's what happened in the recovery process. I was able to uh, become who I was supposed to be in life. Was mentored through that. Made tons of mistakes. Done tons of stupid things. Uh, that's just part of life. Though. Right. We have no, we have no monopoly on being stupid heads. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we have no, no monopoly on struggling through life. And then, but that's the thing. Like, you know, in my, in my opinion, recovery is being able to deal with those things. That's what I was thinking. Without yep, going back to what we used to. Like, oh, I don't want. I don't want to fucking deal with this right now. I'm just gonna. Or just numb out, whatever. Being and, able and it to doesn't even handle have to be, the emotions that yeah. come with it. And it yeah. doesn't even have to be drugs. You know what I mean? It could be shopping. It could be women. It sure. could be w- or just trying to ignore everything and pretend yeah. pretend everything doesn't exist and just try to dive into anything Fucking like head, uh, head in the sand. entertainment, yeah. whatever it is. You know? Yeah, uh, sitting there binge watching shows yeah. just yeah. so you don't have to deal with life. Right. And, and I think you have to be blessed enough to actually stay sober long enough to go through those cycles, those mm. seasons. Yes. My yeah. friend calls them seasons. Yeah. To get on the other side of one to say, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm actually in trouble if I continue living this way. Mm-hmm. Or, right. you know, something happens, you, you lose a relationship you wish you had, yeah. uh, you start doing things where you can't look at yourself in the mirror. You know, um, one of the things I was thinking about driving over here is um, – it is like the seasons of what happened. And so th- this is just my opinion of what I've seen is that, so the addict gets sober. All right, I'm going to try this, you know, for whatever reason. Given directions, you know, if if, if you're an addict like I was, um, you know, you're oppositional to everything, or you'll smile smilingly agree to it, and then your head's saying, you're a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to just do whatever I want. You're a loser. Uh, because yeah. I can't wrap my head around um, what life would be like if I actually did take a leap of faith. And so all this old right. information that I'm living with is just such a block. But I don't want to go back to the way things were. And then I start to get some relief from that recovery that, all right, maybe like this is done where I am feeling a bit. I'm not doing this. My mother's talking to me again. This is going on, you know. Hey, I got a new pair of sneakers. What's up? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's the old like sneakers, fresh jeans, haircut, you know. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm all set, you know, Friday afternoon. And then now like uh, something else has to happen to, to stay sober long term. Some work has to be done. Um, and, and then some of that work is, you know, getting the job, getting the girlfriend, finding some stability. Uh, and I think, all right, I've made it. This is where I'm at. Uh, but then life just continues to happen. And I think there's difference between someone who makes it long-term and someone that doesn't is that asking for help every step of the way, being involved in something every step of the way, having someone say to you, hey, listen, you're fucking out of line. You know, you're, what you're doing right now is crazy. Yes. And uh, it's hard to do that in a way that, uh, doesn't make you look like you're being judgmental, but also, like the, the the men that helped me weren't concerned with how I felt about anything. Yes, they loved you more yeah. than your feelings. You know, and it's like yeah, they, right. They could care less how I felt. Right. They would say, "We just care what you do. I don't care what you feel. You know, just yeah. do it and see what <laughs> happens." And uh, well, it's all it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, continuing to grow is is <clears throat> a beautiful thing. And it's hard to to understand that in in, in new sobriety. Uh, when I got sober, I thought that I would be miserable for the rest of the time, and I didn't care. I still wasn't going to use, you know. Mm. But uh, it's not that way. And you continue to grow, and life keeps changing. And if you keep doing the next right thing, it 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 you know we get better. Yeah, you know. You it's know? A, and I think you know the way I grew up, I feel like I was just trapped in this box, trying to get out. And there was something inside of me trying to get out. And then all of a sudden, I get out. I'm like, holy shit, what do I do? I don't yeah. know where I am. Yeah, exactly. I know the box. You know, I know what it's like to live in the box and mm. constantly feel like I need to get out of this. I just need my break. I need my chance. I need this to happen. And all of a sudden, happen, something happens, and you screw it up. And you say, what the hell? This is what I wanted. How did I screw this up? Fear I, the unknown. I, I have no capacity to move forward. Right. But right. the problem that I had was 
I thought it was mistakes that were going to ruin my life forever. Oh, everything's ruined now because this one thing happened. And getting back to what I originally said, nothing's wasted. That it's all an experience. Everything that mm-hmm. happened has happened, you know, you know. For some reason. For some, it's happened. Mm. What I do with it, you know, like I don't believe God's up there saying, you're going to get this so someday you can do this. The shit's just there. It's going to happen. Who am I going to be in this stuff? You know, and um, and I've made all the mistakes you can probably make uh, as a young person growing up in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had tons of struggles. Um, but through the grace of being involved with other people, I've come out the other side of it uh, better for it. Uh, hopefully haven't made the same mistakes, you know, a ton of times. Um, and the people in my life ha- have benefited from me being there. Yeah. Uh, I have an 11 year old daughter and when we wrap our arms around each other and say I love you there isn't a bone in my body that doesn't feel deserving of her love and I don't think she feels unworthy of my love that's beautiful and mm. I know what it's like to have people care about me so much but in the back of my mind saying, if you only knew who I was, what I thought, what I've done, there's no way you could love me. Yeah. So I've gone through those mm. periods of like uh, becoming a person who's worth worthwhile, who has value, mm. um, and coming out the other side. And, you know, then I'll take steps back. But eventually, like, I, I have to live a life that, isn't connected to ego and, and madness and, uh, you know, self-promotion. Uh, I just kind of have to be and be okay. And, you know, when they say recovery is an inside job, um, that inside is limitless. There's no destination. Mm-hmm. There's no place I'm going to get to where it's like, all right, now I've got this and I'm going to be fine the rest of my life because uh, I've learned that mistake many times where, like, I've gotten this. I just want this. I got to have that brand new Lincoln Town car. I get that brand new Lincoln Town car. Now I'm worried about somebody dinging my door. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, and it's like I have all these ideas of what's going to make me happy. Then I have to protect them because I think that's what my happiness is. And it's really like none of that stuff is going to. It's all backwards. You know, and, and <clears throat> what I have to seek out is fulfillment. I. I- you know, some of the stuff that you've tried to do has backfired. I remember when we were working, yeah. <clears throat> you went and I think it was Reiki. Oh yeah, you went. And he went went and had some Reiki done, and then it was like I had some energy ghost. healing done that Go- brought about a depression that totally wiped out my ability to show up. Yeah. And again, wow. to get back to nothing's wasted. Um, if I hadn't gone through that at that time, I wouldn't have been able to move forward in other directions. And That's I was, interesting, uh, though, huh? I, you know. So when I got sober, I took a job delivering flowers because it's all I could do. Um, nobody was offering me any work. Uh, my the union had blackballed me basically, and wow. I took this job. Construction uh, union. At the time, uh, they were not too thrilled about helping heroin addicts. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was before their family was affected. Once their family and grandkids started to become heroin yeah. addicts, it was yeah. a different yeah, story. Yeah, story. But I was a pariah, and uh, people would say, you know, things like, "What the hell is he doing down the hall? Get him out of there!" And uh, wow. And I, I yeah, eventually, I, I, ca- <laughs> I, I caught uh, the business agent at a at a bakery on a Saturday morning, and I and I said to him, like, "I go, what's the deal? Are you going to put me to work or what?" And, his attitude, what he exactly said to me was, I got enough fucking headaches in my life right now. I, I have no time to deal with you. And that was after he had told me, go, get sober, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. Now, I can't blame him for his decision making because the guy deals with a lot of stress. And what he, he was honest with me. I got enough headaches right now. <laughs> on the list of helping people, you're the last one I'm thinking of. Mm. Um, so I, I don't blame him. Um, I shouldn't have been talking to him. I should have been talking to someone at an EAP, who employee assistance program, who was the mediator. Yes, uh, I didn't know that, and and the EAPs weren't set up that way. Now they're set up totally 
different. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was definitely, and again, nothing's wasted. So all I wanted my jo- back was my job in the union. That was the only thing that was going to make me happy. So I got this job delivering flowers, and I'm driving around and pissed all day. The big dig's going on. God damn it. You know what I mean? This one's working. That piece yeah. of shit's working, and I'm not. Yeah. And, and I remember calling up my sponsor, complaining, and he just said to me, I can't think of anyone better suited to bring people joy than you. Click. And uh, <laughs> delivering and I, flowers. It, 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 he's, you know, and, it, and it, it just dawned on me like, I have a job where I get to bring people joy. Uh, but all I'm concerned with is the prestige and the money I'm missing. And like, yeah. if I get this job back, I'll be okay. Instead of being okay with where I'm at, beating myself where I am. Yeah, I'm right. a guy that just survived addiction who just was given a, a chance and moving forward, but I'm too ungrateful to see that because I, I need that whole fed. And I think if I have this, this, and this, I'll be okay. But I have to be okay to enjoy this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. It, and, it, it could have been the worst thing that ever happened to you. You know, getting that job back in the union. So I, I get this job delivering flowers, and I got to show up. And, and, and people saw that I was consistent, and I was given opportunities. Uh, someone opened uh, a door for me with the city of Boston, which, which you know, I, went, I got an entry-level job which ended up uh, turning into uh, as a project manager in community development. A lot has to happen in between those two mm-hmm. things, a lot of showing up day after day. And again, I didn't do that gracefully. Uh, I pissed a lot of people off through some of my struggles. Uh, you know, I, uh, I had been married and divorced in that time uh, in sobriety early on, and uh, that affected my ability to show up at my job. But I did put my recovery first, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it – it definitely affected some things in my life. And it was also just, you know, I was, I was a guy in my 20s that was maturing and learning how to live life. Yep. Um, but what yeah. happened was after that was I, I got this job traveling the country. I lived in D.C. for a while. I went to school. I was traveling the country building the banks. And when I came home, uh, when the recession hit, I was working with Chris, and, and, uh, and, I, and I was kind of stuck and did the Reiki thing. And mm-hmm. it ended up, you know, I thought, like, this is crazy. Uh, I can't believe this happened to me. I'm sober a ton of years. And, but if that didn't happen, who knows? I, I, we'd still be painting together. I don't know. Um, <laughs> exactly. But it was it was crazy that, that you know, like obviously you needed that to happen. Yeah. You know, to yeah. to it's remove whatever was there to so you could continue on this journey. Yeah. yeah. It, it, what, be that as it may, it is very interesting that you went to get Reiki and became depressed. I mean, I don't think that's a typical reaction. That's well, very interesting. Well, I don't know what the deal is. That's, or what I mean, the deal was. But, you know, just the way you mentioned that, our ideas of what is healing is based on this feels good, this feels bad. I feel bad, let me do this because I want to feel good instead of saying just, this is what's going on. You want to be healed? Well, sometimes you got to walk through some shit. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, know, you have to walk through something, and we have this idea of you know of what's supposed to make us happy, and and that spirituality is this thing of ah, oh, everything's peaceful. You yeah. know, I have people all the time like that guy's so spiritual. I'm like, wow, I'll just look at me so peaceful, and I'm thinking, I know stuff about that guy that's not that peaceful. You know what I mean? Like, I know. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, you know, and it's it's our idea, our idea of what's right and wrong. So. That Reiki did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was a cleanse, mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't my first experience with Reiki. I I, I, uh, I was uh, rear-ended in a in a car, and uh, my neck was all messed up. And someone who just happened to be an energy healer uh, just said, "Let me do a little work." And uh, we went to a quiet place. They did some work, and within ten minutes, uh, my neck everything was gone. All the pain, the stiffness, everything. Wow. Um, I don't know if it's because of what she did or what happened that way anyways. All I can tell you is I've had two experiences with energy healing, and they both brought about results that allowed me to move forward uh, mm-hmm. in my life. Exactly. <clears throat> they were not wasted. They were not wasted. Nothing's wasted. No. <laughs> so what's what's going on these days? So these days, you know, I, mean, I was thinking, like, you, you asked me to write, you know, a little something in the uh, – in your little book over there, the little mm-hmm. guest book. You know, most people, if you ask, if you meet someone, hey, how are you? How are you doing? You know, people begin to tell you about themselves. And someone will say, oh, what do you do? You know, you, so you go to a job, this, where you live, and all that stuff. And, like, that's not who I am. Um, hmm, who right. I am is a, 
is a guy that, uh, like, if I go through my day, like, I'm a guy that gets up late. I, I try to get up early every morning. On my best times, my wife and I get up uh, early together and have coffee and read books together and talk. Um, and I begin my way that way. Um, she spends the summer down the Cape. She's a teacher, and we got a cottage down in Brewster. Um, another gift of, you know, putting booze bucks uh, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so we spend the summer pretty disconnected. You know, I go down the weekends, and so we're, we're getting back into that routine. She's a teacher. She's back to school, and so we just haven't got up in the morning. But like, the most important thing in my life is have a connection with God, connection with where I am in recovery, uh, connection to where I'm at in the day. Uh, I paused before I came in here tonight and invite and go, invited God in. Mm-hmm. When I go home tonight mm-hmm. to see my wife, I'll pause, I'll invite God in, to, and I'll, I'll ask for, you know, connection. Help me connect to my family. Um, you know, they don't know I'm doing this. Uh, they may not even notice the results of doing it, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, uh, it's, it, you're, you're, you're being mindful of what, what you're... Yeah. Entering into. Where am I right now? And and not thinking of yourself. Yeah. You know. Because really what I want to do when I go home after work is I want to lock myself in a room and do nothing and not see anybody. Mm. Yeah. That's what I want. I think I want. But really what's going to be fulfilling is I actually have connection. Yes. And... Um, it's and, easy yeah. to fall into that trap of not wanting to go out, not wanting to do anything, just uh, not dealing with anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then there's also times where I do nothing and I'm fine with it. And I have to find the balance between that because there's a message in my head that's saying, you should be out doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And it's like, I'm fine with it too. We it's, were joking about really the hammock. Nice. You know, I get on the cape <laughs> and uh, I set up that hammock and I spend hours on it. Um, yeah. And I'm exactly where great. I'm supposed to be. Right. Exactly. Uh, Boy, that I, sounds I, nice. <laughs> I've lived I've lived a pretty abundant life. You know, I, I've run the Boston Marathon a couple of times. Really? I uh, I nice. got to bring my daughter to the Eiffel Tower. I've swam wow. with the stingrays. I've done all those, you know, prayed in the Sistine Chapel. Like, I've done all those things. Sounds pretty cool. That you think, um, you know are important in life as far as like uh traveling and but still at the end of the day it's like if if i can't be the guy that prays before he goes in the house all that stuff it's just fucking maple syrup on the horse shit you know (laughs) and and, and really like you know i went to i remember going to the sistine chapel and i had this idea of i'm going to create this spiritual moment you know i'm going to say that 11 step prayer and i'm going to say that prayer to saint francis and we go down and into the tomb, and there's no one there. It's uh, me, the person I was with, and, and a monk. And, uh, and here I am. I'm kneeling. There's candles burning around his tomb. And it's this picturesque, you know, idea of what is a spiritual moment. And I could not have felt emptier inside. Hmm. And you can't conjure spirituality. You can live in it. You can participate in it. Hmm. But you can't conjure this. And I think that's where a lot of people I see struggle is like, well, I'm praying, I'm doing this. Well, it's like, fucking God's not Advil. You know what I mean? My relationship with prayer and meditation isn't about, you know, taking something that's going to make me feel better rather than being better with what is being given to me. Mm. So I'm given this situation. How can I be my best in it? Not how can I feel good through it? How can I be my best in it? And how can I bear witness to someone else that you can do this and you can stay sober through it and be there for somebody and take the shit when it comes, you know? Right. Mm. It's like you, you can't be, I'm going to go get spiritual right now. Yeah. No, I'm going to go get fu- spiritual. No, it you, fucking happens. You're going to go get miserable is what yeah. you're going to do. Yeah. Um, Trying to force it. But paying attention to the noise in the head. And I think that's another thing people have, you know, struggles with. With spirituality, prayer, meditation, and it's this idea that, you know, meditation is solely about quieting the noise. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have to honor the noise. Yeah. Pay attention. I'm not afraid of it. You know, right. I was, I was uh, driving yesterday in work, and I saw this guy, uh, you know, probably in his 60s, struggling with a board, trying to cut it. He had a big chop saw set up and these jigs. And, and I drove by, and my first thought was like, oh, I should help him. And I was like, I'm, I'm in a rush to go somewhere. And I probably got about 30 yards, stopped my truck, backed up, went back. Hey, buddy, you need a hand? He's like, boy, do I ever. And I I talked with him. 
um, I happened to be in my work truck, and he's like, oh, you guys, are, you know, right around the corner, yeah. you know, so, it, it, you know, it was, it was nice that he got to see that, but it was nice that I honored that little thing, and it's the little things, when I throw the napkin and it doesn't go in the barrel and I walk by, I know. you know, oh, <laughs> someone else will get that. No, like I have to yep. honor that and honor the noise and honor what's given to me. Mm-hmm. And But the journey to that doesn't start in the beginning of sobriety. Like I had to get sober, bang my head against the wall, yes. you know, make mistakes and to live through this to, in order to say, this is who I am today. And I'm still at no destination. I, I, sometimes right. I think I'm... Uh, I'm more spiritually blind than I've ever been because I'm more aware of the need for it. Right. It's right. Uh, it's counterintuitive um, when you when you think about the the fact that uh, the little actions that no one else is really going to know about but you and how much uh, inf- effect it has on you. You know it's, what I mean? It does, man. It, and, it's, and I've been seen it and feeling it a lot lately gives you self-respect mm-hmm. a little bit of, a little bit of something and something good you're like you know oh i'm the type of person who does this even if you don't say it to yourself that's the type of um the way you think of yourself and and, a, and a, over years and over over time of doing the same type of good things the next right action this is the type of identify identity you develop for yourself and right. it feels great that's exactly really what i does. drove away saying Yesterday, as I drove away, I said, this is who I am. There you go. This is who I want to be. Beautiful. This is who I am. This is who I go home, bring home. Um, probably out of time. Yeah. Getting, I mean, oh, yeah. I got, I, I got one quick story. I just want to. We, we all talk about, like, where we've been and what happened and what it's like now. And it, like it, For me, it's it's so important what, what it's like now. It's like, what is the result of all the stuff that I've seen in my life? And, like, being a father... Um, is probably the most important thing to me. And uh, well, my I have a daughter, and uh, I cherish her, and I'm her primary male relationship. I'm her first introduction to what it's like to have a man in her life, mm-hmm. and I'm very aware of that. And you know, one of the things I've always tried to do was uh, when I put her to bed at night, I, I sing "You Are My Sunshine," and, and still to this day, if I put her to bed <laughs> at night, that's what I sing to her. And I try to talk to her, and it, and it just I try to build inroads. To, for her to have a conversation with her primary male relationship, her dad, in her bedroom, in the place that she needs to feel safe and protected, you know, for the rest of her life. And mm-hmm. So when she was really young, um, I would tell her stories before we went to bed. And I would, uh, all of a sudden I started to mix up the stories to see if she would catch them. Like, she knew how, like, they were supposed to go. And she said, that's not what happens in that story. And and then I would tell her stories, like make it up about something that we did that day. Like one day, this you know, this dad and his daughter went to pick apples, and they picked the apples, and a monkey was in the tree. And and she say, "Wait a minute, we went to pick apples. There was no monkey in the tree." And so <laughs> I would say to her, "Okay, you tell me the story." And then she would tell me the story. And what I was doing was giving her a voice instead of being, mm. "This is you're supposed to listen to me. Let let me listen to you." And allow her to tell me her stories. And when she mm. was six years old, she had a, a birthday party that kind of went wrong. It was supposed to be in the park. It was raining, and we we had made this piñata. Uh, I made this Minions piñata with her uh, out of paper mache, <laughs> and, and we did oh, it. Yeah. So she was so bummed out, and she was in bed that night. And six years old, and she said to me, uh, Dad, can we have one of those talks where we talk about our feelings? At wow. six years old, I had no ability to even right. conceive that I had a feeling, Very cool. mm. you know. But yeah. this is the result of this work is that, you know, I have a daughter that uh, is free to talk about things with me. Yeah, much less to your dad. Yeah, mm. to your dad, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we have a relationship. And, and, again, it's not perfect. I'm not father of the year. I, right, you know, I don't right. do everything perfect. Sounds like you're doing pretty good. But my daughter... Uh, she came home with a permission slip last night. Uh, she's 11. She's in fifth grade. She goes, can you sign this? I, I want to run for student council. Like, it was nothing. Like, you know, I would never put myself in a position where I would run for student council. I know. I know. Idea, you know? But, and, so and you said, no, go to your room. I said, what are you, stupid? You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, you know, she brought it to my wife. We were sitting on the couch, and, and Holly signed it. And um, But I just took that in that, like, this is where she's at. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's going to be a kid and go through struggles, and I don't want to rob her of any of them. Right. But I want her to have a voice through them. 
because mm-hmm. I never felt like I had a voice. Not no, because my beautiful. parents didn't allow me to. Um, it just it, it just whatever it was, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. And she's going to go up feeling her things and have her struggles and have her problems. But I'm not going to sit back, I hope, and say, I wish I'd done more. I haven't up to this point. Mm-hmm. I know, and I, right. I don't want to rob her from that pain. Yes. Out of any, any successful person, you ask them what, <clears throat> if they could get anything back, it would be more time with their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any successful person mm-hmm. that has a family. That's what they missed yeah, out. Yeah, I think there was a, yeah. a letter uh, Steve Jobs wrote before he died. And he was basically saying, I have had access to everything I could ever want. Mm-hmm. Someone opened every door for me, my car, this and that. You know, and it's worth nothing now. I'm dying. This, it's, you know, this, this, and it's the things you value, um, you know. It's, uh, and I, I try to ask myself consistently, like, what would a man who trusts and relies upon God do in this situation right now? Mm-hmm. If I can pause and do that, invite God in, what would a man who trusts and relies upon God do? And try to envision that and gain strength from that and try to take that direction. I'm usually okay. Uh, I have no control of outcomes, but I'm usually okay. Right. Beautiful. And on that Fantastic, note. Fantastic, man. That was great. All right. Thanks, Tommy, for coming in. Um, a, lot of great, anytime. a lot of great uh Jewels there. Yes, I, I uh, give a great two-hour talk on humility. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> right? All right. Uh, LOLterms.com. Please subscribe, uh, like, subscribe, share. Thanks for tuning uh, in, everybody. Yes. We really and appreciate you. L- yes, e- and anyone out there, if if you want to come on, you you want to talk about something, hit, hit us, us up. up. You know, uh, we need you. LOLterms.com. Peace. Peace. I live in this world.